This week on The Vergecast, Addie Robertson joins the show. We talk about the big antitrust lawsuit against Google for Play Store fees on Android. We go over the new Nintendo Switch OLED model. And we talk about some pretty intense EV car company slogans. That's coming up on The Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast in spatial audio, but the Verizon version. They should just pay us. Verizon, if you're Hans, if you're listening, this is a branded content opportunity like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. He's not listening. Anyway, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm here. No, wait, I'm over here. <laughs> Andrew, make sure that you switch my voice from left to right on that. Uh... Addie Robertson is here. Hi. There's a lot to talk about this week. There's a, a lot going on. There's an endless variety of antitrust news. There's a new Nintendo Switch. There is, in fact, a hilarious Verizon proprietary spatial audio codec. As always, though, I want to start with COVID. Still not through the woods yet. Still a lot of things going on. And the ripple effects of COVID are, are really starting to, to appear. So uh, starting to side about who might need uh, vaccine booster shots. There's a lot of curiosity about this. You should go read that story. The mRNA vaccines appear to not need them yet, especially um, against the Delta variant. They seem to be very effective. There's some scientists out there who got J&J early who won mRNA booster, but we've got a big story about that. You should go read it. Super interesting. Speaking of the mRNA vaccines, it's ha- you're living through it right now. You're living through a paradigm change in medicine right now at the second. Pull over in your car and consider the fact that you are right now, living through a paradigm change in human medical history because mRNA-based vaccines are now the thing. So they were quickly developed and brought to the forefront because of COVID. There is mRNA-based HIV vaccines that are being tested and developed. And Moderna just started human trials of an mRNA-based flu shot. They call them platforms, which I think is great in the context of the show. <laughs> but an entirely new vaccine platform technology has been developed and is going to become what seems like the most widespread and quickly engineered uh, platform for vaccines. It's amazing. Like just, all this bad stuff happened. This is like a change, an amazing change in medical technology. It's happening because of COVID. Like I said, second, third order effects. It's like a 16th order effect, but it's amazing. Speaking of the COVID vaccines, there's a push to have them fully approved by the FDA. People are hoping that the full approval will push vaccination rates even higher. They're still not high enough. And then... <laughs> I feel like we keep chasing the exposure notification app story because we just wanted it to work. Do you remember when like nothing yeah. was working and everything was chaos and like 
We couldn't even make a website. We could not make a website. <laughs> like Google couldn't sign up for Squarespace in time. Like it was horrible. And then they, like Apple and Google are like, we're going to do it. We're working together. We never work together. And like Sundar Pichai was on the show and we asked him like what decision he had to make with it. And then none of it worked. The exposure notification systems did not work. So there's an, another study that's out about how those systems could be effective in the future. Ideally, there is not another pandemic, so we don't have to like use this information. But they're still out there. The states are using it. I still have one on my phone. I just took a trip. My phone reminded me that I was in Illinois instead of New York and like told me to switch locations. Um, but they're not good at assessing the risk of various contacts. So there's some conversation about how those apps might be more effective. But man, do you remember that? They're like Apple and Google are going to fix it. Tim Cook and Sundar, they had a phone call and they're going to fix the pandemic with our phones. It did. It, it didn't happen, everybody. Still good at playing Candy Crush, though. <laughs> yeah, no, and I remember the privacy debate over it and like trying to decide whether you were going to make the sort of sacrifice of giving up location privacy. Right. But they built this like complicated Bluetooth like aggregation system where like they were sending identify like they built all this technology to like try to calm you down. And, like, yeah, so and it was going to be part of the operating system. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know. Man. It just didn't. I just read the book Nightmare Scenario because somebody Nightmare Scenario is one of the new books that came out about the Trump administration pandemic response. And someone tweeted at me that it had a section about the website. Ooh. And I'm like, I'm going on vacation. So I buy this book, like reading it by the pool at the 4th of July. And I get to part about the website and it's like, nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> like He didn't know it was being announced. Google didn't know like the retailers who were supposed to have the drive up, None of them were prepped for this announcement. Like the CEO of CBS is like, what are you talking about? We don't even have tests. Yeah. And even if we did have the test, we don't have enough swabs to put in people's noses. Um, I highly encourage everybody to read that book. It is very depressing. And I realized I'm actually really quite angry. Like I was like reading the book and I was like, oh, I'm still super mad about this. Yeah. Exposure notifications. They were going to fix everything. Maybe one day they will. Okay. Speaking of people who are mad at Google. <laughs> it's my transition. <laughs> every government in the world is mad at Google at every level. So the Department of Justice is currently suing Google for antitrust uh, violations about how it pays to be the default search engine in a variety of platforms, including the iPhone. The state of, well, so the Federal Department of Justice is suing Google. The European Union has a number of complaints against Google, as it always has and as it always shall. I'm actually pretty sure it's like in the EU charter, like as a band of independent countries coming together as the European Union. Yeah. We will sue Google once a year. So they're always doing it. They've got another one. The state of Texas has one about ad tech. It's actually another EU one about ad tech. And then yesterday, uh, 36 states sued Google for what else? App store fees in the Play Store and how Google uses its contracts with OEMs and carriers to enforce those fees and keep competing app stores down. And I want Addy to tell us about the complaint and about how this works. But just as I read it, I was like, oh, shit, it's another Vergecast episode. <laughs> like, here's a, here's, a, here's a lengthy document about how Android is quote-unquote open. But not really. But the contract for Play Services gives Google all this control, and yep. there's a real tension between we want Google to leverage its control to keep Android from fragmenting, to push RCS, but then yeah. it, there's a real tension in there. 
There's there's one section that I don't think we'll end up talking about, but I just want to call it out as the most Vergecast thing ever, which is there's a very long discussion about whether or not API should be part of Google Play services or part of core Android. And there's yep. like, is there any reason for this API to be connected to Google or not? And the answer is no. And therefore, it's another tie to the Google Play store. And like, they just go through like APIs, like notification APIs is like a part of this whole thing. It's great. Yeah. I mean, like you should read the complaint, especially if you're a listener of the show and you'll be like, oh. Oh, they're just, they're just Vergecast listeners. They're just 10 years <laughs> behind. Like, this is like the stuff you're complaining about with Honeycomb. <laughs> Anyhow, Addy, tell us about this, this complaint. Yeah, so the complaint, like you said, is that ostensibly Google has uh, this open model with Android where anybody can install an app store and or sideload an app directly, and they're able to bypass Google's fees that they would otherwise levy through the Play Store, and that this distinguishes it from iOS and in reality, they're saying Google just absolutely shuts that down on a variety of levels. Some of those levels are technical, like that they make a big deal out of in the complaint, the levels of warnings that you'll get when you download an app and try to sideload it that say they'll tell you this app isn't trusted, that you have to, you can cancel it or you can hit settings. And it's not necessarily clear that you can install it through settings. It's like all of these little dark patterns that Google is saying are for your protection, but are they're the complaint says are just sort of ways to keep people from knowing that they can install these things safely. The complaint even points out that sideloaded itself is a scary word because it implies that that's not a normal thing that people do. It's like, it's wild. They get into like the linguistics of the phrase. Anyway, I'm sorry, Eddie. Continue. I mean, there's like screenshots of like the various screens that are like, do you trust this app? This app, like, I think one of them is like, this app is unsafe and you have to like, your choices are settings or cancel. Yeah. I mean, they're like in it saying Google is like psychologically motivating you to not use these things. So that's like this very purely technical level. And then beyond that, you get into things that are much more businessy, like the um, a big part of it is dedicated to the Samsung Galaxy Store, which Samsung is this the sort of giant in the Android space. They're one of the places that if you're going to try to mount a challenge to the App Store, that's what you have. Uh, and they're arguing, look, yeah, that Google basically tried to pay Samsung to just not make the App Store competitive, its App Store competitive, um, and that it's... On top of that, use these lockout agreements that, yeah, if you're going to make an Android phone, you have to sign these non-fragmentation agreements that then end up limiting you to the Play Store. And that even within the Play Store, some things that this is then when we start getting into in-app purchase territory, that you have to use Google Play's like in-app purchasing systems if you get your apps through that store, and that Google actually just pretty recently implemented a rule that's uh, this basically an anti-steering rule that says that you can't try to sort of nudge people outside the play billing system if you're an app developer, um, which is a thing that Apple has had for a long time, and that was kind of at the center of the Apple versus the Epic versus Apple trial. So it's this this whole series of behaviors that are in the complaints view, kind of putting the lie to the idea that Android is actually an open system with competition. Well, one thing that's fascinating, by the way, I should point out, Epic is suing Google too. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like they, they're suing Google for the exact same reasons they sued Apple. We just haven't gotten all those emails from a trial yet. <laughs> like the complaints are kind of the same, right? They're, they're slightly different, but the core thing that people are complaining about is Google makes you pay their fees. So Epic, Epic is suing Google's private company. The states are suing Google as obviously the states. 
If you read the complaint, there's a bunch of redactions. So we, we've got the, all the discovery from Epic. I'm very excited for the discovery and all the, you know, for this thing to go to trial so we can see what's behind those redactions because there's enough stuff here. Uh, there's like references to like Google's secret program codename redaction to try and get Samsung to redaction. And here is an email about redaction. And then it's like a giant square block. And it's like, oh, there's stuff here. There's something. Yeah, this isn't just they're mad. They actually like have got some evidence. And some of the evidence is the stuff that we we got from the congressional hearings. This stuff is all obviously happening in an intertwined manner. So there was the big congressional hearings and investigation into digital marketplaces. Now there's a state lawsuit. They're drawing from it explicitly. They're saying, as we learned in the hearings, and then they've done their own investigation. They've got their own documents. One thing that really strikes me. So we should talk about the, the Samsung Galaxy store. It is true that on the show, we dunk on Samsung all the time for building literal clones of the services already provided to you in Android. Yep. Right. So Sam, you, there's Gmail and there's like the Samsung mail client. There's Samsung's browser in the Chrome browser. The Galaxy store has not been a success from what we can tell. Their closest brush with success actually was when Epic pulled Fortnite out of the Play Store and then they signed a deal to put it in the Galaxy store and then they tried to sideload it and none of that worked and they ended up back in the Play Store. Yeah. Right. And part of the argument here is that Google, in fact, pulled the levers such that Fortnite could not be successful as a sideloaded product, right? That the distribution power of the Play Store was, yep, it was great. Obviously, the Samsung store is only on Samsung phones. That was limited. But just the hurdles that you have to jump through to get a sideloaded app kept the mass audience from seeing Fortnite. They were just searching in the Play Store. That said, the allegation here is that Google sent a bunch of redacted emails to itself, like Google executives were emailing at the Galaxy store. They recognized that Fortnite could make it a threat, and they sent a bunch of redacted emails about what to do. And one of their ideas was that they would just pay Samsung a bunch of money to have the Galaxy store be a front end for the Play Store. Yeah. So it would look like you were using Samsung store, but you were still getting everything from the Play Store, which, as I said earlier, Google has another antitrust lawsuit about paying a lot of money to be the default search engine. So they've got a move, which is they print money, their advertising business prints money, and then they just spend the money to be the default everywhere. This is very similar to what's, what's happened with the EU stuff. Is One of the issues here that uh, Addy was referring to is like the business stuff. When you are a manufacturer and you sign up to make an Android phone, uh, you know, there's like things that you have to do. You have to put the Play Store on the home screen and like, you know, default apps and they can't be deleted, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the incentives that Google gives you is they will give you a cut of their Play Store cut. And so there's like a, a monetary sort of, I don't know, incentive or uh, carrot here that this lawsuit alleges is monopolistic in some way. Because, of course, uh, companies are going to feel like they have to take that extra little bit of money because, you know, the reason crapware exists on Android phones is any incremental pennies they can make off of these things, they have to try and grab. And so Google is just like, they go into the room and they just like they just lay a, a bucket of money on the conference room table while they're negotiating <laughs> contract and they're like there's a bucket of money here and like they just like dare the manufacturers not to just grab the bucket of money. So there's a flip side here, and I, I think this is to me the, the part that stuck out from reading the complaint. Okay, Android is open. You can just take it, and you can be Amazon and try to make the Fire Phone and fail, but then you can also use it to make fire tablets and have your own app store and you have your own ecosystem. And this works actually successful in their way. But if you want to make a phone, 
you have to get it on a carrier. We, we know this. Yeah. Right. Like one plus tries desperately to get the carrier deals to be successful in this country. And it's really hard for them. Even when they do have carrier deals, they don't have the marketing spiffs that Samsung will pay to carriers. So the carriers control a lot of the conversation. And Google also has deals with the carriers such that the carriers won't support Android phones that don't have Google Play services that don't have Google's app store on them. And that to me is maybe even more unfair than the OEM deals. And I can't quite tell why I feel that way. Maybe it's just because it's more hidden. They're the same kind of deals, right? If you are an Android OEM and you, you want to make a weirdo riff on Android, yeah, Google's going to tell you you can't have play services unless you meet our things. And like, we think that's fine because we don't Android to be weird and fragmented. Okay. I kind of get it. You can kind of see it. it. You can experience it in the product. I think I find the carrier ones ickier because nobody knows. Like here's this like point of control over this entire ecosystem that is basically hidden from you, but it means that all kinds of things, all kinds of phones have never been invented that might have otherwise been invented. Dieter, I'm just teeing you up to rant about carriers. I mean, the, the thing that gets me is, I don't know that I find like the carriers are icky, but you know, I wrote the whole thing that Apple's a carrier now. Well, so is, so is Google. Like there are, you know, there are some Google apps that I don't want. Uh, I don't want Google podcasts. It's bad. I'm sorry. It's never been good. Uh, I don't think that it will be good anytime soon. Um, you can delete it. It's fine, but it, it's loaded on deck. And like a bunch of the contracts and the negotiations that are happening behind Google Play services and all of this stuff, it's not as straightforward as you think. And it involves more of these sort of weird deals than you expect. And so the, the thing that's frustrating about it is there's this line in the lawsuit that's like, Android is open source and name only or something to that effect. Yeah, Android is open source and name only. That's the exact line. And I kind of can't disagree with that anymore, right? Like, I, it's it's open source insofar as yes, you're right. You can go and like make a Fire Phone off of it, you know, a year after you know the OS has been out or it's stable or whatever. But in actual practice, nah, it's 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 a it's a Google Jam, except I guess in China. Yeah, yeah, which is like maybe not the exact comparison you want to make, right? Like, right. yeah, it's a market where Google isn't allowed to participate. Many other things have happened there. But the Chinese government right now is cracking down in tech companies left and right. They're saying because it's for privacy and data sharing reasons. There are lots of other reasons that the Chinese government cracks down on companies. So it's like kind of the model that you want to look at. Like look at all this competition for app stores and distribution. And then kind of definitely not the model you want to look at. Here's the grand narrative of, of phones, the smartphones. You ready? Okay. Here we go. This is this is <laughs> like the rise and fall of the <laughs> Roman Empire, like grand theory of smartphones. Everybody knew that smartphones needed to be a thing. The carriers didn't, and they imposed their own restrictions so that they could make extra money off of it, and they didn't understand it. And then Steve Jobs came along and said, uh, I'm making this iPhone. Do you want it? And AT&T was like, oh, God, yeah, we want it. And so Apple took that control away from carriers. And then we had a decade of incredible innovation where all these companies could make phones without the carriers screwing it up. But whilst that was happening... Apple and Google became the duopoly of smartphones, and they themselves have become carriers who are making incremental money on these phones in any way that they can. And that has introduced another round of invisible pressure on innovation that is very difficult. It, it's impossible to say what we haven't got, but it, I feel very strongly that there's we're not getting something that we would otherwise have because Apple and Google are like, imposing certain restrictions on the phones in like weird ways in the same way that carriers did before the iPhone. So Addy, one of the 
big distinguishing factors here between all the complaints leveled at Apple versus all the complaints leveled at Google is obviously Apple systems are integrated. There's like just the debate over whether Apple can have a monopoly over the iPhone, right? Which is like you have to begin at like a deep philosophical level over whether you can have a monopoly over your own product. And like went through it with Epic. With Google, right? They give the operating system away. It is quote unquote free. And one thing that strikes me is because they have to make all of these contracts and talk about what other people are doing, the amount of evidence that they impose the control is potentially much higher. Like it feels like Google's at much more risk because there are these contracts and deals and negotiations and freakouts over what other parties might do. Whereas with Apple, right, there's just emails inside of Apple. Right. And so like they're they're not imposing power. Like Apple isn't imposing power over itself. Like that's it's just how a company works. But with Google, they're like, we want Motorola to stop doing X. So we will use our power to make them stop doing this. And that fe- that feels just a little more dangerous for Google. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, especially because it means like Apple can end up with this kind of consistent, even if you think it's wrong, like position that it's just too dangerous for there to be other apps on the, like an app stores on the iPhone. And then Google, it says that's like, it, it pulls the position that that's not fundamentally true. And then you end up getting to see all of these very clear, like financial maneuverings that are more obviously financially self-interested and purely financially self-interested than say Apple just saying, well, this isn't safe. Yeah. I think we hold up. We came out of the, epic trial and you know just one consistent refrain was well if you don't like it go to android it's open (laughs) and now we have this like other lawsuit and google put up a blog post yesterday about the suit and it is literally the same exact arguments that apple makes about why it has to control the iphone like yeah sentence for sentence things like safety things like we strive to create the best marketplace we have we compete for developers with apple and it's like, well, if you were competing, you wouldn't have the exact same terms, right? Like you would just lower your, ter- you would lower your cut by 2%. You would say Apple's 30%, we're 28%. Come over to Android and you would win, right? Like that would be, comp- you wouldn't just have a lockstep the exact same terms. And it's fascinating to me that in the Apple case, people are like, well, Android's open. And now we have an Android case where we might see more pressure and the arguments are exactly the same as Apple. But there is a nuance that you can install a third-party app store on Android. And one of the things that's coming with the next version of Android is they're going to make those app stores a little bit less limited in what they're allowed to do, which is fascinating that they waited until now to do that. <laughs> Wait, what are they going to take? What, what are they? What oh, I think it's uh, they're going to work better, and they're going to they're not going to be so limited in uh, auto updates. That's like actually part of the suit is like you can't have an app. Update, like get auto automatic updates from a third party store. Like you have to actually open the store and then the store has to like figure it out. You know, it's like a frustrating thing when you buy something from an Amazon, the Amazon app store, or the, the galaxy app store. The other thing about this blog post is it does this thing that just drives me nuts where it's like, they're like, who me? What? It's, <laughs> I have, what? This is weird. It's so it's strange that a group of state attorneys general chose to file suit, uh, file a lawsuit attacking a system that provides more openness and choice than others. <laughs> First of all, I thought you said they got the vapors, as in there was a group of vapors at Google. <laughs> And they were all just like vaping while writing a statement. That's not what you meant at all, but it is an equally excellent mental image. 
Apple did this too, right? They, they, it, I just think it is, if you just look at it abstractly, if you take away, I know there's so many differences, but if you just step back a little bit, they have the same terms. They have the same angry app developers. They have the same lawsuits. And now they have this almost exactly the same responses. And I just can't. Yes, I know they're different. Everyone is going to tweet at us and tell us how different they are. But like the shapes are the same, right? Like they're more the same than different. And it's very hard for me to say, oh, that's super competitive. And like, I think one question we've been asking forever is why isn't there more competition within Android? Why aren't there more Android phone vendors doing cool things, fighting for peace of the market? It should be really easy to switch from a Samsung phone to an LG phone or whatever, right? And it doesn't exist. And like, I think part of that is carrier control. We've talked to us forever. Part of this is Samsung will just like fire hose money at anybody who looks at them and make sure that they're the winner all the time. And part of it is Google's control has limited what the phone makers are actually able to do. And so we've ended up with who's going to be the first to folding phones. Because if you can solve that hardware technology puzzle, like Google can't stop you. The carriers can't stop you. But that's it. Like that's where we've pointed all this effort as opposed to how does the phone work? Is it better for developers? The flip side of this, and I, it's like deeply ironic that I'm saying this, is that like five or eight years ago, we're like, these phones are too fragmented. Google <laughs> should impose dictatorial control over the Android ecosystem to bring things in line so it's more competitive. I don't know where that balances at all. Eddie, can we, like, as long as we're talking about Samsung, we should talk about just what a big presence Samsung is in this lawsuit. They, they, it's got its own like entire section. And it's funny how big Samsung looms over the Android ecosystem, not just that they sell the most expensive phones, uh, the most comma expensive phones, but also the most expensive phones. But it seems like every time there's some sort of fragmentation or like platform or ecosystem debate with Android, it's because of Samsung. Remember when they freaked out over the the magazine UI, like oh seven, my God. Eight, seven years ago, and like Sundar had to like fly to Korea and tell them to cut it out. No, and they sold Motorola because of Samsung. And they sold Motorola because of Samsung. And now in this lawsuit specifically, it's talking about stuff that Google has done with Samsung and its Galaxy Store, uh, and that it just takes up a huge amount of their headspace. I mean, it's a huge like it's. It's the only thing that comes close to being its own brand within this within Android, right? Like, right. As someone with a Samsung phone, like I got a Samsung phone in part because it was the only thing that, like, I don't know, people would make cases for. Right. Yep. That's one of the reasons when we do like the best Android phone, we often will land on a Samsung phone. And I was like, why didn't you pick OnePlus? How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. Why didn't you pick LG? Well, no one says, why didn't you pick LG? But yeah. <laughs> well, there's like some <laughs> LG PR people. But it's because you can walk into any store and buy a case for an S21, and you just can't do that with other Android phones. Yeah. I, the relationship between Google and Samsung and the carriers, this is kind of what I mean. Like, if it, Because they're three independent parties with their own interests who are arguing about how to get leverage over each other, the amount of evidence that exists of Google enforcing its leverage is just going to be higher in this case. Yeah. Right. And I like, I think the play services, I mean, and when I say this, the whole thing is like a Vergecast episode, like the Android blogs 10 years ago were complaining that Google was exerting too much control over Android because of Google play services, right? Like if you ship Android without Google play services, it doesn't matter where you get your apps from. They're not going to run. 
Right. And so there's a big question over, as Dieter was saying earlier, like what APIs are in play services? What APIs are on Android? Why can't you get Google Play services without the Google Play Store? Tying those two things together seems equally problematic, right? Like the reason Play Services is separate is from a technical level, as far as I understand it, Dieter, is that's how Google gets around the update problem. How so? Because none of the carriers or OEMs update Android often enough. Right. Yeah. So yeah, they update okay. Play Services over the air. It's their own component on top of Android. Yep. This is they got started with this with with uh, Chrome with the Chrome engine because that was that was a big vector of attack. Uh, so they they started they pulled the browser, which we think of as a really important part of an operating system, into Play Services. And so all of a sudden, if you didn't have Play Services, you had a deprecated browser, and eventually you like basically didn't have a browser at all. And imagine trying to ship an Android phone and having to roll your own browser engine from scratch. Like no thanks, right? Right, and uh, notably in the EU. This case has already come and gone, and they have separated Play Services and Chrome from Android. And when you boot up an Android phone in the EU, they you get a browser ballot, and then mm-hmm. everybody picks Chrome, <laughs> which is true. Uh, again, the EU and Google is like this like love hate relationship. Like, what is Batman without the Joker? Like, what is the <laughs> EU without Google? Like, nothing ever works, but they love each other. Um, that part to me is. You can see this case ending up with Google has to deliver Play Services independently of the Play Store. Sure. And that would make sense. It's like, in this case, unlike the Apple case, where I can't see a real remedy that people will be happy with, this is like a weird technical business change that you can make to Android that like maybe would be invisible and everyone would everyone except Google would be happy with. And you could get there. And then you have questions about what APIs are in Android and what APIs are in Play Services. Another thing that occurs to me is the the other thing that gets bundled with app stores that is increasingly driving me crazy is the uh, security and privacy of the phone. That somehow the app store is the thing that's supposed to enforce that instead of limitations and sandboxes and other restrictions on the apps itself inside the platform itself. There's this guy, Alex Russell, he's slightly late on Twitter. He just moved from the Chrome team over to the Microsoft Edge team. And he's got a long thread basically taking Hiroshi Lockheimer to task saying, "Wow, you know what has all, you know what is a safe, uh, you know, app environment is the web browser because everyone knows the web browser is like a, you know, scary, dangerous thing. And so they like put all the guardrails around it so that web apps can't completely screw up your phone. And those guardrails around apps are like not as high as they could be. And they're not as well sandboxed as they could be. And maybe, you know, Google Play is already running scans of every app. Google Play Services is already running scans <laughs> of every app, whether you buy it from the Play Store or not, to make sure it's not malware. There's no reason that the security and privacy of the apps on your phone should be enforced by the App Store. That work can be done by the platform itself. And doing and moving that work from the platform to the App Store is a way to force developers and you into that App Store. Yeah. I think one of the other piece of this puzzle that's really interesting to me is the fact that Google owns YouTube. And I, I bring this up for this reason. And you can't make a phone that doesn't have the YouTube app on it. Yep. Like what is the surest way to guarantee you to guarantee that your new product will fail? You know what else you're not allowed to do? Advertise a third party Android app store on YouTube. Really? Yep. This is just like a content rule on YouTube. Yeah, no, Google will not let, uh, you use Google's ad platforms to advertise your third-party app store for Android. <laughs> it's a good thing Google Google is like the duopoly player in advertising, too. Womp womp. You understand why the EU is constantly like, we should do something about that Google. 
Yeah. I don't know that anything they've ever done is effective, but you understand why they keep trying. We published this data. I actually want to talk about this uh, maybe in some depth. So Facebook is very mad at Apple and Google all the time because they want better terms from Apple. Apple turned off the advertising identifier for advertising, all this stuff, doing the tracking stuff. So Facebook commissioned a study from Comscore, which I will just tell you is the proprietor of a website. I have deeply conflicted and angst-ridden emotions about Comscore as a measurement company. Yeah. As does every proprietor of every website in the world. Anyhow, but they're it. They're the industry standard. Facebook commissions Comscore to say, measure the use of pre-installed applications. No one ever does this. So Sensor Tower and App Any, I'll tell you about the, the third-party apps and who's mm. hot, who's not in the app store. There's other ways to talk about third-party apps. Comscore talks about third-party apps. No one ever measures the use of pre-installed apps. So Facebook, with a clear motivation, commissions Comscore to measure the use of pre-installed applications. Alex Heath, our great new reporter, gets the data. We publish the story. I will tell you right now, Apple is pissed about the story. <laughs> they are so mad at us about it because it shows that their default apps are just by far the most popular apps on the iPhone. I was joking with Dieter. You look at this list of what, what apps on the iPhone and it's monthly active users. You look mm. at this list of what apps have the most monthly active users in the United States on the iPhone. And you're like, Oh, the iPhone's a feature phone. <laughs> like this thing might, might as well be a flip phone. It's like, the phone app, the weather app, photos, camera, clock, messages, calculator, app store. App store being up there is a thing. Sure. What's the first third-party app that shows up? It's YouTube. Right. Because it's it's just the most, it's the thing. When we had, when I had uh, Nadella on Decoder, and I was like, what Google websites do you go to? He was like, YouTube. Yeah. There's no competitor to YouTube. There's no nothing like YouTube exists. And so Google, with Android, can say you don't have the Play Store. What they really mean is your phone won't have YouTube. And even if you build a phone with another another entire store on it, you're never going to get YouTube. And it's just another point of control, which might be fair. You might think that that is fair. But the fact that Google can withhold the most popular video service and indeed the most popular third-party app on the iPhone, and it's the third most popular app on Android, according to this chart, that's crazy. Like, I don't know. I Like... There's just a part of this where I just like these companies are too big. They have too much power. If you go after them one way, they're just going to say, we're not going to ship YouTube to the third party app stores. And do you want the government coming in and demanding that Google put YouTube in stores it doesn't want to be in? Like maybe you should just break them up. <laughs> That's a long way of getting me getting to you should break up YouTube from Google. Anyway, this, this data, I just want to talk about it for a second. So we know it's motivated reasoning from Facebook. Yep. We know that Comscore has problems and I prom like talk to anybody who runs a website about how much they love Comscore and, and like pour a beer into them first. And like, you'll just be there all night. It's also like it's monthly active users, which is a particular kind of metric. It's how many people tapped on the app in a, in a given month, right? That's what counts as an active user. So one of the big arguments here is it doesn't calculate use or engage time. Hmm. So uh, I don't know. Apple clock is like fifth on this list. Yeah. Everyone clicks on the clock. What if you have a user who has a third-party clock app who uses that 10 times more than the other person, right? So you have 10 people, mm -hmm. nine of them use the built-in clock app, and you have one power user who uses some other clock app, 500 times more than all those people combined. Does that count? Does that change? And my thinking is, well, the reason we ran this is this is the first time we've ever seen any data about pre-installed apps. 
So, yep, we can argue about it, but this is the first cut at this data that anybody has ever seen or published outside of the companies themselves. And I think to measure market share, you should measure monthly active users, not engage time. The reason you measure engage time on a platform like Facebook or whatever is because that's how you sell advertising. Right. You've got the one person who's looking at more and more stuff all the time. That's more opportunities to advertise to them, but it means that they're definitely not using the other thing. So I don't I look at this list. I understand all the problems with it, but what is absolutely striking to me is these platforms are dominated by the pre-installed apps. And at any time, any one of these companies puts out another app that competes with a third party, they will use their distribution advantage on their own operating systems to crush the competition. And the Android one is particularly interesting because way down at the bottom, Samsung calculator, Samsung email, right? Samsung's pre-installed apps. The only app that shows up that is not pre-installed by someone is Walmart on the Android list. Oh, there's Amazon. I'm pretty sure carriers install Pandora. Yeah. Amazon does show up on both lists. So here's the question then. What apps should uh, be allowed to be bundled with the operating system? Because we had a whole big fight about Internet Explorer in the 90s on Windows. And we're like, oh, it shouldn't be bundled. Uh, and like now, if anybody tells you that like an operating system shouldn't bundle a web browser, that kind of doesn't make sense because like half the stuff that an OS shows you is driven by a web view anyway. <laughs> so at what point do you say that these things should not be installed by default or these things should not be like part of the operating system? I don't know, Addy, do you want to answer this very simple question? Addy <laughs> just rolled her eyes at me. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I don't. And I think about it a lot, especially because Sherlocking is also just the way that this ends up playing in with developers, too. That then, like, does that mean that if you make a really good app that companies should not be able to clone it and, like, make it an integrated part of the user experience? Yeah, I mean, we, again, this, we put up this story yesterday. People were tweeting about it all day yesterday. People are like, what, do you want a calculator ballot? No, I, I think it's totally fine for Apple to put a calculator app on the phone. What I think is notable about this, in particular in the case of iOS, Apple's apps almost always win. There's like two things in here, maybe only one, where you can see how competition affects the use of the phone. So on the iOS list, Apple Maps doesn't appear and Google Maps doesn't appear. Why is that? because they have split the market for mapping on iOS. Right. Right. So there's not just a winner the way that, I don't know, Apple messages is the the clear winner here, right? There isn't another messaging app on this. Well, maybe you count Instagram and Facebook, but that's all been broken out into messenger. Now (laughs) Apple mail is here. Gmail's way at the bottom. That's the, that was my other example. Apple mail dominates over Gmail on this list. But to me, the maps example is like really, it's, it's sort of like the exception that proves the rule. Right, Google was there first. They were better. Apple put out a pre-installed worse product. They've split the market. Every year, Apple tells us how much better Maps is. We just came out of WWC. They spent a ton of time telling us we've improved Maps. Maps is better because they are in a fight for market share on their own product. And when Dieter, when you talk about like what is the innovation we don't see, if Apple was just the winner, I don't know that they would be racing to make Maps better all the time. In iOS 15, you will be able to tap on one of your alarms to open it and edit it instead of having to hit the edit icon up in the upper left-hand corner and go into the edit mode and then tap on the time and then go into the the thing to change the clock. If there were a real competition for clock apps on the iPhone, I guarantee you they would have fixed this thing. I have been complaining about this for a decade and it's just now getting fixed. Yeah, it's just all these little places where 
I don't know, like competition is good. Like that's what is the political philosophy of the first cast? <laughs> All these big companies should fight harder for your dollars and your time. Okay. We should stop talking about antitrust before we go from this section. Addy, I just want you to, to say five sentences about this insane Donald Trump lawsuit against Facebook, Twitter, and Google, because they happened on the same day, right? And Trump got more attention, but this is the antitrust stuff I think is going to be more long lasting, but we should talk about the Trump stuff too. Uh, yeah. So former president Donald Trump would very much like you to give him money to fight lawsuits <laughs> against <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and then he keeps forgetting that he also sued YouTube and Sundar Pichai, whose name he refuses to pronounce correctly still. And he calls him Sundar Puche and <laughs> says that these companies are violating the First Amendment in a series of very ill-considered lawsuits that say that they are public companies because of Section 230, which is also unconstitutional, but why he's suing them. And part of the argument is that Facebook collaborated with his own administration to fight coronavirus, and that is very bad to him. Uh, and all of this is ridiculous. And the two things that matter from it are that, A, it's a big fundraising thing that the people are already sending, like just trying to get dollars from by saying that Trump is taking on big tech, which in this case, he is very much not because the entire legal argument is just really, really bad and bonkers <laughs> and not attempting to be serious at all. Uh, and second, that like, obviously, this does not mean that there are not serious issues with, say, the way that Facebook moderates. Like we found out today that Facebook just like they made a totally reasonable moderation policy and then they lost it. Like they literally lost it for three years um, because they switched systems and didn't put it in uh, into the new system. It was like, about how you can criticize like the imprisonment conditions of people who violated dangerous policy rules. So the point is that there are like actual very serious questions about who can speak on Facebook and when and how to get kicked off. And Trump is not taking steps toward any of those. He's not seriously interested in any of those. He is interested in making money. And also his lawsuits are, I just, I'm trying not to make fun of them. I'm trying so hard not to make fun of them because it's a trap. Addy right now in the video conference is doing the flames from the side of my face hand motion. Like you were literally just doing that from clue. Um, it was, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, they're really dumb. And I will say that we all watched this press conference because Trump announced he was going to sue these companies. And I just had these enormous, I said at the beginning about the virus, like, Oh, I'm still really mad. Like, I just had these flashbacks to like, oh, we have to take this seriously. And the, the amount of relief as I listened and then I read this, I was like, oh, we don't have to take this seriously at all. We can just like move on. Will we be able to just move on? I mean, that's my fear. Is These that, are going like, to get dismissed in, the, in the, first, the first time they show up in a court. Yeah, but they've got money to appeal the dismissal. Like, that's the question. Like, are, how, how long are we going to have to like pay attention to these ridiculous lawsuits? I mean, me as a writer who writes about this stuff, I'm going to have to be like, yep, this got dismissed. I'm going to hit that this got dismissed again and they have appealed. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, so Eric Goldman, who is the one of the most comprehensive chroniclers of Section 230 law, tweeted a section from an upcoming paper. He's like, yeah, these cases, they pretty much invariably lose. They get dismissed very, very early because judges say, well, yeah, Section 230, it's pretty settled law. And it says that... 
Like the law says these companies are private actors. There is not a precedent for the First Amendment governing the way that social media platforms moderate, except under like these really like specific situations where, say, the issue is a government actor using social media. There's just there is absolutely no legal basis here. And unlike the section, and unlike when like Trump would sign a social media order, there is not this apparatus of people that actually have to take things seriously that have to follow his demands. Like Mm. there's no FTC or FCC here that has to keep like pretending to shuffle papers around in a way that will make this make sense. He is like a (laughs) private citizen filing a lawsuit and it's a really bad lawsuit. Um, So there's just, and he's defending it with his own or with money that is not the US government's at least at this point. So this is like much less of a waste of people's time than usual. It's definitely a waste of his time and a waste of like the legal system's time, but it's less annoying than when he was president by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we did 40 minutes on the actually important antitrust case. We did three on Trump, and I think that's about the right ratio. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to get away from legal stuff. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about this new switch, which Dieter has already played with. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, Dieter. Yeah. Here's my theory about the new OLED Switch. Okay, it's it's the new Nintendo Switch OLED model. In parentheses. That's my theory. Yeah. The fact that they were just like OLED model in parentheses means that all of my display whining over the past 10 years in the show mm-hmm. has been completely validated and that all people care about is contrast ratios. <laughs> That's it. I was right. Okay. Yeah, no, I buy it. So, I mean, the, it's called, my theory is they called it OLED model so that everyone was crystal clear, no pun intended, that there's nothing else new about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> the processor is the same. The power is the same. There are a couple of new things that are worth noting. One is the kickstand is no longer a cheap plastic piece of crap that falls off when you blow a light breeze at it. Oh, God, I hate the kickstand on the original Switch. It's a good kickstand in the style of a Surface kickstand where it can like go at any angle. 
And it has 64 gigs of internal storage instead of a measly 32, so you can maybe fit more than two games on it, uh, which seems good. Other minor stuff, they added a wired, wired Ethernet port into the dock, and the speakers are a little bit louder. But the main news is that the screen is now a full 7.0 inches, and it is OLED instead of LCD. But it's the same resolution. It is still 720p. That's correct. And it still does 1080 when you plug it into a TV. It won't go to 4K. I, I don't know. The 7-inch 720p Pentile OLED screen is going to be like, maybe I was wrong. I don't know that it's Pentile. It might be RGB. I'm still waiting for confirmation on this. I took a loop to it, you know, those little you know magnifier things you put on negatives or whatever. Yeah. And it looks like RGB to me, but I don't have the eye for screens that you do. If you don't, if you don't know what a Pentile screen is, it's a way of arranging the subpixels in an OLED screen that isn't straight, you know, one color per pixel, one RGB per pixel. And some people see this and it causes their eyes to bleed and they become unreasonable rage monsters who can talk about nothing else. Mm. That's Neil Patel. Uh, and then there's other people like me that's like, I guess it looks fine. I don't know. It seems good. Um, and that's me. So it was a lot worse when the pixel densities were low. Like the iPhone has an OLED pentile screen. Looks great because it pixel pixel density is so high. The whole hack is that your eye perceives green more than other colors. Mm-hmm. So if you put more green in it, you can get more brightness out of the same size panel. Yep. But early... They just looked horrible. Yep. Now high pixel and say look great. I'm just saying 720p at a larger screen, you're not going to get more pixel density. You're, you're getting less pixel density. And I, I, I played um, Mario Kart and I played Breath of the Wild. Both games are very good at looking nice on 720p, right? It's like the way that they're visually designed, like if it's not, it, it's fine at that pixel density, I think at 720p. And so they looked good to me and the screen looks way brighter and crisper to me. Like it's more vibrant. And if you look at like the grass or whatever, like you could see the pixels, you can see the, like, if you look at like really thin lettering, you can like start to see the jaggies a little bit, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. anti-aliased as well as it maybe should be. But like, here's the bottom line. Uh, it's bigger and brighter and therefore nicer. The end. <laughs> Fair. And the kickstand is better. (laughs) And the kickstand is way better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would not upgrade. Um, I'm going to upgrade because I switched over to a Switch Lite, and that was a huge mistake, and I regret it uh, every day of my life. Uh, And I want (laughs) to go back to the bigger screen. But if you've got a regular Switch, especially one of the, like, slightly newer Switches that have the better battery life, I think this is a very difficult upgrade to justify because the Joy-Cons are the same, the processor's the same. There's a little more internal storage, but whatever. Build quality is basically the same. It seems like it's a little bit better built. The kickstand helps. There's a, a, a glossy bezel around the screen instead of a matte finish bezel around the screen, whatever. But at this point, like I'm, I'm getting into such tiny little details, like the power button is uh, oblong instead of round, and it's recessed Ooh. in a different way. Like, okay. Is it nicer? I, I would say like the big knock for me on the original Switch is like, it's pretty in the in, in Breath of the Wild is like a masterpiece. The hardware is like kind of cheap, like just all the way around. It's like kind of cheap. I will say it feels like fifteen percent nicer than the original Switch. I brought the original Switch along to like compare it, and like, but the original Switch is also beat up from use, right? Yeah, I have no idea what this thing will be like when it's beat up from use. But it, you know, brand new out of the box, it's a nice gadget. Does it have like? It, I mean, obviously, it has smaller bezels. Like, is it like the? I, I would just say the original Switch is like kind of plasticky. Like, yeah, I would say the plastic again. It's like it to me. It seemed like fifteen percent nicer plastic. Like the 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 matte finish is a little bit more matted than the original one. Mm-hmm. But also, I've been using the original one for years, and so maybe that just got worn down. Yeah, Eddie, there was like a lot of rumors that it would be a Switch Pro that we'd 
there'd be a new chip. Do you have any sense of why none of this came to pass? I mean, there's the theory that there is the, the, like the chip shortage has messed everything up, right? But I don't know. I mean, there's also just like people keep expecting Nintendo to act like other game companies, other console makers, and they never do. And they uh, have not done it again. They like they just this is what Nintendo does. They release tiny little changes to the consoles that are going well for them. And they might get some people to upgrade, but it's just like it's another skew to put in the store. That's how they do it. I haven't used my Switch for a little bit, but I don't know. I feel like there are so many good games that don't require really intense hardware at this point, And the Switch is really, really good at playing them. Like, I, I don't know. This is also just speaking as someone who has other consoles and I don't need like I pretty much play the Switch exclusively as a handheld and I don't need it to like play AAA console games. But I kind of like I'm kind of happy with the Switch I have now. Like I, I would be perfectly happy with there being a, like a slightly iterative upgrade. Well, so the idea of doing this upgrade is that people will upgrade or you'll get new people to buy a Switch, right? I mean, those are those are your two choices. Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I think it's people who haven't bought a Switch yet will go to the store and there will now be three options instead of two. The portable one, the regular one, and Nintendo specifically like told me, like we're going to continue to support the regular one. It's going to stick around. Wait, support it or keep it in? Uh, I forget the exact wording, but I, they're not going to discontinue it. Is my okay. is my impression? It's going to stick around. Uh, and then there's the one with a nice screen, and like you pick your price point or you pick your screen size or you know which one you want. Uh, it's just like there's the nice one, and it's called Nintendo Switch OLED model. I don't know. <laughs> the, the word model is what offends me about this whole situation, right? Just call it Nintendo Switch OLED, whatever. In fact, I think Nintendo only ever pronounces it OLED model. They don't ever say OLED. Uh, so you thought we won, Eli, but we didn't because you still have to spell it out. Yeah, you just you'll go and you'll you'll buy the one that fits your budget, or you know if you're willing to splurge on the the one. It's like uh, you know you buy an iPhone and you pick your storage option, right? You mm-hmm. buy a Switch and you pick your screen. Isn't there like controversy about like Joy-Con drift with Switches? They fixing that? No, uh, who knows? They won't. They won't say. Like they won't comment. You know, trying to get Nintendo to say drift is very difficult unless you're talking about Mario Kart. So <laughs> amazing. When does this thing come out? It's early October, same day as uh, the new Metroid, which Metroid uh, Dread, uh, which yes, Metroid. Good, happy, excited. I love me some side scrolling Metroid. It's it's we're overdue. I can't wait. Uh, yes, please. Also bring back Metroid Prime. I know it's not part of the main storyline, but uh, I miss it. And <laughs> you should be able to figure out a way to do that with Joy-Cons pretty easily. So please re-release that. Uh, also, uh, there's the uh, new Zelda, um, which is the old Zelda, Skyward Sword, coming soon. Going to try that out, but I think I'm going to be disappointed. But that's okay, because the sequel to Breath of the Wild is still out there in the world. And uh, I will watch Zeltic videos looking at Zelda lore, trying to you know parse what's going to happen in that game all day long. Uh, and I recommend you do as well. Is, is Hollow Knight Silk Song coming? Like, is that that still exist? I, I want Silk Song so bad. I don't know. I haven't been keeping up on that. I I managed to finally defeat their creepy vampire boss expansion and felt so relieved that I finally did it that I had to set it down and walk away from it for months. Yeah, you know, I've played out Hollow Knight so much. All right, Addy, are you gonna get one? No, I have a I have a switch. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for Silk Song. Dieter's gonna do it. I can tell. He's smiling. Yes, I am. I'm gonna buy one because mm-hmm. I actually need to f- to finish beating Breath of the Wild. Well, can't you just do that on your current switch? No, I need a bigger screen. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to what's the name of the dragon that flies by? I was trying to j- jump. I didn't want to finish the game before I'd done this one thing. 
And then I just failed to do it so much that I put the game down. And so I've yet to actually beat it. I was like right there. And I was like, I'm not going to do this right now. You're trying to jump onto the back of one of the, the four dragons that fly overhead? Yeah, you can. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I've read, I've watched so many YouTube videos about jumping on this dragon. So now I need a bigger screen. I can finally aim correctly. Yeah. Assuming I enjoy constant drift. I don't know. I feel like we, this thing came out of nowhere and our, our team is like deeply split. Like we have like competing editorials. Yeah. But why this is the best product and a total disappointment. I don't know, man. We should just buy one. Okay. We're going to take a break and we got to do a lightning round. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Dieter, where do you want to start this lightning round? I mean, we should start with the uh, revolution in uh, audio dynamics, the the, the Verizon uh, version of spatial audio, because what I have been waiting for was Verizon to uh, to jump into that fray. <laughs> it's like preloaded on Motorola phones. Yeah. Okay. I'm a full on spatial audio conspiracy theorist now. Okay. This thing came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's like multiple competing formats. Mm-hmm. The studios are all in on it, right? This like is being pushed from the studios. And like somewhere in the middle, Dolby is like basically the only company that can generate this stuff. And it sounds bad. So I just turn it off on my iPhone. I'm over it. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, like a group of music industry executives decided a thing was going to happen to the listening public and then Mm. started shipping it on phones left and right. And like, it's not that it won in the marketplace. It's like, I don't know, like Universal owns a bunch of mastering studios that weren't being used enough. So they just like invented a reason to do spatial audio. I know I just like no longer believe that this has happened for any organic reason. Oh, I completely agree. I think that I think that you should only be allowed to listen to spatial audio when you're watching a movie on a 3D TV. <laughs> it is bad. It sounds bad, especially rock music sounds really bad on it. Um, I just like turned it off. And I tweeted that I turned it off. And like my replies are all people being like, I turn it off too. Like people don't like it. The mastering is not good. But it's just very funny that Verizon was like. We also have a spatial format. Would you like to try this one on a mid-range Motorola phone? And I 
Just put up more 5G towers, Verizon. Okay, mine is, my lightning round is uh, Stellantis, which is further proof that mergers should not be allowed. It's a horrible name. Stellantis is the name of a car company. Did you know this? No, uh, this is not real. You're making this up. This is this is a terrible sci-fi movie. <laughs> so there once was a company called Chrysler, which owns like Dodge and Jeep. They merged with Fiat to create FCA, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. And then that company merged with like Citroen and Peugeot to create Stellantis. So yeah. Stellantis now owns Jeep all the way down the line. So they had an EV day from Stellantis, the most unhinged car company presentation I've ever seen. You should watch it. Um, at one point, they presented a chart of Dodge Challenger sales, mm-hmm. noting that every time they increased the number of like the horsepower in, in the Dodge Challenger, the sales went up. But okay. the chart was the, the Dodge line was yellow. And then there were just two unlabeled lines in green and blue going down. <laughs> and that was the, <laughs> like, what is it beating? Like, what cars are those? Just completely unlabeled. Uh, the CEO of Dodge came out and insisted that Dodge was not going to make an electric car before announcing an electric car. Hmm. And he's like, Dodge makes e-muscle cars, not electric cars. And we all just had to watch that for a while. They announced a bunch of mottos for all the new electric cars that Solantis, or for all the Solantis brands that are now making electric cars. Mm-hmm. Let me just read some of these. Uh, Abarth, which is a Stellantis brand, their new electrified motto is heating up people, but not the planet. <laughs> God. Um, Fiat's, this is true. I'm not kidding. This is real. Uh, Fiat's electrification motto is it's only green when it's green for all. Uh, Dodge, again, which is not making electric cars and making e-muscle cars. Dodge's electrification motto, I swear to God, this is true. Tear up the streets, not the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Peugeot, which uh, a French car company, also in the Stellantis portfolio, turning sustainable mobility into quality time. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh. know. Man. I actually, I kind of really want very like weird, earnest, satirical, inspirational <laughs> posters of all of these. Yeah, <laughs> they're really good. Uh, uh, Alfa Romeo, also in the Stellantis portfolio. They didn't try on this one. From 2024, Alfa becomes Alfa E Romeo. Mm. I don't know what that means. And then Jeeps is zero emission freedom. And then the Jeep video that they presented is fully unhinged. Like they have Jeep Wranglers launching drones at night. And then the people just like lay down in the back of a Jeep to stargaze while the Jeep autonomously drives with a drone guiding it. Uh, The Jeep, the Wrangler in this video has a windshield that has face recognition. So as you walk up to it, it recognizes your face and unlocks the door. But in the video, the Jeep doesn't have any doors. (laughs) (laughs) I just, everyone needs to go watch this. Like we were watching it and like, you know, like Andy and Sean are transportation reporters. Like, you know, they're diligently doing their jobs, like covering all the new announcements. Like Jeep is going to electrify the whole range. I was like, we just need to make a list of what happened here. (laughs) Like We also just need to make a list. Um, It was nuts. I, it was maybe the silliest thing that happened today. And I, if you have an idea for what the Verge's e-mobility slogan should be, uh, for example, the, <laughs> Stellantis has a brand that's just called Commercial Vehicles. Okay. That's just the brand. It's the name yeah. of the brand, Commercial Vehicles. And their slogan is the global leader in e-commercial vehicles, <laughs> which is like, 
That's their name. They they sent out a corporate decree like last week, and they're like, "You must have a mission statement, and it must have something to do with electric." Probably yes. Tear up the streets, not the planet. It's just really good. Everyone had a rushed meeting, and these are the best ideas they can come up with in a half an hour. And they're like, "You know what? They're never going to use these. It's fine." And they emailed them out, and then whoever was putting this presentation together was like, "All right, here we go." Yeah, it's good. We don't make electric cars; we make e muscle. It's just, it's really good. Addy, do you want to? You have a lightning round one? Uh, everybody should go look at Jay Peters' Roblox explainer. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, very it's good. really good. We do these explainers. We do these like very simple posts. And then they just like live forever. So like Mitchell's NFT explainer for like three months is the most popular post on our site because it turns out everything is confusing all of the time. (laughs) Dieter, you want to talk about RCS real quick? Sure. Uh, By the way, uh, Android messages, messaging app, SMS app, not appearing Mm -hmm. in the most used apps, most monthly use active users apps list at all, which is weird. Oh, wait, can I say one more thing about FCA real quick? Okay. Another moment in the Dodge presentation um, was they had to come up with an animal to signify Dodge's evolution. What? And they, what they, this is true. And they said, Dodge is a hammerhead shark <laughs> because it's changing. <laughs> Wait, what? I clearly don't know much about sharks. This is true. They put up a slide. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the, the hammerhead shark that has thrived at the top of the food chain. And it's like, there's a bigger shark. Like an obviously bigger shark exists. Their entire truck line is literally named after an animal. Uh, Ram is a different company now. Oh, God. So they split Dodge from Ram, and then Ram is, Ram's tagline is built to serve a sustainable planet. Okay. It's great. I, I'm telling you, this is, this is both the argument to forbid all mergers, but also absolutely the argument for mergers to happen. Yeah. Because then you get giant, clumsy, hilarious companies. Amazing. Speaking of giant, clumsy, uh, hilarious companies, AT and T has uh, <laughs> AT and T has joined T Mobile in just giving up and taking Google's money and making Android Messages the default for all Android phones on its network. Uh, so that you'll get RCS, you'll get end to end encryption, which is also rolling out. You'll get the whole thing. So it at least Verizon and you know whoever else. Uh, so yeah, Google has after what three or four years of trying to make RCS happen, finally realized that it should just open the checkbook. Uh, I don't know this for a fact that Google just opened a checkbook, but I strongly suspect. And I'm very happy that uh, we're no longer waiting for these carriers to like form their little coalition company and come up with their own text messaging app. So now that uh, all most Android phones and pretty soon all Android phones, especially in the US, are going to be using RCS by default. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Apple, it's time. Yeah. This is funny because after the, our entire first conversation, we're like, it's a good thing Google's opening the checkbook and forcing the carriers to do it at once. Yeah, I know, right? It's a whole vibe. I'm torn. I, I, think, I think these problems are really hard. And I, I don't know. Maybe if Pixel phones were any good, this would just be different, right? Like maybe if Google had a winner integrated phone that it controlled. This antitrust case made me understand why what the deal is with the Pixel. I now know. I've solved it. I've been wondering why Pixel for, you know, 5 years, whatever however long it's been. And now I know. The Pixel only exists just in case they decide they need to cut off Samsung or Samsung goes away. That's it. it they don't need it. They don't want it to sell. They just need to be able to make phones. They just need to sell a handful of them and stay in the market. And it's just there because nobody else can serve as a hedge for 
uh, Samsung. And so the Pixel is there as a hedge for Samsung, but it's in like pantry mode. It's not quite pantry mode. You know, pantry mode is that Google makes a product and then doesn't release it. It's just there in case a competitor appears. It's like open pantry mode. It's there and you could like go get it, but they're not really, they're not, it's not trying. It's, it's only, they only have it so that like somebody is at least pretending to be a credible competitor to Samsung and Android. Cause like Huawei got cut off. There's a bunch of other Chinese companies like OnePlus, all of the the BBK companies, Oppo, Vivo, Realme, blah, 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 blah. blah. There's a bunch of that. But in the US, um, somebody, so nobody's trying hard, very hard, right? Nobody's having much traction. So Google's just there just in case they ever need to ramp it up, they can. Yeah. And in the meantime, they're like, would you like to merge Tizen with Wear OS? Right? Like with the thing that's act- they're actually getting closer. Yeah. Okay. My last lightning round, more car stuff for me. Um, Elon Musk said self-driving cars are a harder problem than he originally thought. Yeah. Which to me is just very funny <laughs> because I've, how many car company CEOs have we had on decoder or the virtual over the years from like, how long till a car without a, a steering wheel? And they're all like, well, it's, it'll happen. And then they just sort of look off in the distance and hope I won't ask how, how long. Uh, and then I do. And they're like, not for a while. Yeah. They all stopped saying five years. Though. They did all stop saying five years. Okay, a few things I want to call out on the site that we didn't have time to talk about. Um, we have our iOS 15 and iPad OS 15 previews up. Uh, we have our Mac OS 15 preview up. They have to change Safari. Yes, the they must. They have to. They, they have to just roll that back. Actually, speaking of competition and all this stuff, John Gruber had this incredible line about Safari on the Mac because he thinks they should change it too. Because it's bad. They put all the tabs at the top and all moving around. He was like, if Apple doesn't change this, they will lose market share to Chrome, Chromium-based browsers. Yeah. That's it. That's the threat. You have to make a good product or you lose market share for important things. Whereas, like, if they just screw up Safari on the phone, yeah, you might switch to Chrome, but it's still their web rendering engine. No stakes. That's all I'm getting at. Everybody needs more stakes. Everybody needs to be more afraid of the American consumer. That's how I'm ending this podcast. <laughs> no, uh, a few other things. Uh, we're talking about Andy, our transportation reporter. He's got a great story on Waymo as a self-driving company. They have a virtual city called Simulation City that they are not allowed to call SimCity yeah. uh, where they test all their self-driving stuff. That's a cool uh, dive into things. And then there's a bunch of additional regulatory things. So the one I want to call out is the Indian government is arguing that Twitter doesn't have immunity for its user posts. So they have not 230. I said this on the first half, I think a couple of weeks ago, the relationship between the tech companies and the Indian government is like a preview of what's happening here. So we're paying a lot of attention to it. Um, go read that story. Cause if you want to think about what a world without 230 looks like, there are actually lots of countries in the world where there isn't 230 and the government does interfere in content moderation. Maybe not so great. So just a bunch of interesting stuff on the site to look at. Props to Maine for passing a facial recognition, uh, government facial recognition ban, uh, and to our great facial recognition reporter, Dave Gershkorn, for covering it. Yeah. Isn't that, that's like the the second one, right? Didn't Illinois do one? Illinois has a really strong biometric privacy law, and there have been municipalities that have banned fa- government use of facial recognition, but uh, Maine's is like the strongest thing that we have so far. Yeah. Like again, the si- it's summer and it's like a little slow, but there's still a lot happening. So all over the verge, we just wanted to focus on the stuff we focused on today. You can tweet at us. I'm at Regulus Theaters at Backlon. Addy is at the Dextriarchy. We'll be back with the Roachcast next week. Decoder next week. Another EV company CEO, CEO of Polestar, Thomas Ingolat. I have to tell you, this interview 
just one of the wilder CEO interviews I've ever had. Just a very different kind of character. So that was a good one. So that's coming up next week on Tuesday. We'll be back next week with Vergecast. That's it. Rock and roll. Five stars. Rate us five stars. Find a place to rate us and then rate it five stars. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.